another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. Jennifer Standish, founder of Prospecting Works, is preaching to the cold calling choir when she says that cold calling trainers don't spend enough time working with their people on their delivery. Jennifer and our market dominance guys, Chris Beal and Corey Frank, all believe that a great script that hits all of the points but has a terrible delivery won't get you any appointments. However, a great delivery, even if you're working with a mediocre script, will absolutely bring in the appointments. In this podcast, they also emphasize the importance of a salesperson's mindset when it comes to being a successful cold caller. If you think everybody's going to hang up on you, that everybody's going to be nasty to you, well, that is generally what you're going to get. But if you believe in your core that your product or service can truly help people, if you are certain of the integrity of your offering, then you can sell people on your belief. Why? Because your authenticity will come through to your prospects loud and clear. Listen to this first of a three-part Market Dominance Guy series by these three cold-calling gurus on today's episode, Learning to Manage Your Voice Under Pressure. Welcome to another episode of the Market Dominance Guys with the sage of sales, the prophet of profits, with Chris Beal and Corey Frank. And today we have a guest that is near and dear to both of our hearts, Chris. We're going to speak and revered tones, hushed tones of cold calling. Uh, Jennifer Standish is here from Prospecting Works. So Jennifer, welcome to the Market Dominance Guys. Please say hi to our seven listeners, including my mother, on this well-esteemed almost 200 episodes of this podcast. Jennifer, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Great. So I understand that you are well-skilled in the black art of cold calling. But then I also heard, right, when we're talking about it in pregame a little bit, that as as skilled as you are, you also want to make cold calling obsolete. How do you square that circle? <laughs> well, where did you hear that? Oh, I want to make it obsolete. Oh, the Sage of Sales had uh, shared that thing with me beforehand. So. <laughs> yeah, because I work with a lot of people that have call reluctance and it's such a struggle for them. And I just wish that we could somehow rename it, do something, something to help these people um, be able to make cold calls. And I would also like for it to be acceptable, to be able to call a business during business hours to discuss business and be able to call somebody and get an appointment. And it's such a struggle and cold calling is such a bad name that if there was a way to just be able to call somebody and schedule an appointment and have it be done, mm-hmm. I would love for that for it to happen. Well, but- I can already tell Chris, and you probably picked up on this. You've known Jennifer a little longer than I have, right? The cadence and the tonality you use just to explain yourself is it probably indubitably what hooked Chris. So is that how you guys met? Did were, Chris, were you, a, were you a cold call from Ms. Standish here? How did you guys meet? I can't remember. No, uh, but, I know, but I know she told me that she had an idea. And it's such a tremendous idea that I asked her not to tell me more about the idea until... She got a provisional patent on it because I think I said, Jennifer, 
at this moment, I'm the most dangerous person on the face of the earth. And you should you should protect yourself before you speak with me. Yeah. Yeah. So we were introduced by David Massover because we were both on his podcasts. And so Chris and I just had a nice, lovely conversation. And I said, you know, I have this idea of how, about how to end cold calling. And so I told him and then we spent two and a half hours on the phone. Oh, and he said, you need to get a provisional patent for this. You have to protect yourself and then we can build it because it's a brilliant idea. And I got off the phone thinking that I was going to be the next Elon Musk. And I felt as if my life trajectory had just changed. And it didn't end up really, it didn't turn out quite as I had expected, <laughs> but the idea is still there, sure, you sure. know, and who knows. But I really think that what's missing is... We spend so much time on the sales side, becoming more efficient, trying to be more effective, working on bettering ourselves, coming up with a great, great cadence and all that sort of stuff. But nobody's dealing with the prospect side and how they're part of the problem. When we call these prospects, there are so many things that get in our way from reaching the prospects. Nobody's dealing with them and their bad behavior and how they are costing their companies money and how their gatekeepers are costing their businesses money mm. and how we need to, somebody needs to tell these people, maybe it's the CEO or the president, guys, you need to start taking these calls. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of reasons beyond why these salespeople are calling you. It's a great networking event. You have no idea why they're calling. It could be, it could revolutionize our company. How about karma? Karma, our people cold call. Why don't you need to pick up these cold calls? Because our people are cold calling. What goes around comes around. I mean, you just never know. All of these sorts of reasons. Take these calls. What I would hope to happen is the number of calls that you would require to get through would go down. We wouldn't need to be making all these come all of these numbers. We wouldn't need as many salespeople out there hounding away. You know what I mean? I mean, it would just facilitate business. We could uh, do I have it straight, Jennifer, that Chris helped correct me? I'm hearing you say if your message to the world, if yeah. if your message to humanity is to accept and take more cold calls. Yes, take the call. Take the calls. Take the call. That's a great t-shirt. And what I tell them whenever I present, I will have people come back a week or two later and say, Jen, I didn't think I would ever want say this to somebody but i took a cold call and it turned out to be a great decision for my business mm, i love that time and time and time again we had a guest on um who's a great uh, great friend of ours His name is robert vera he runs the center for innovation and entrepreneurship at grand canyon university and uh one of the things that he mentions a lot is that to take a phone call to take a cold call especially there there's a special entrepreneurship mindset that these folks have to have not an entrepreneurship but an entrepreneurship so jennifer calls me and she's going to give a face melter of a screenplay of a, of a pitch and it moves me yeah. but still i got to think of my boss chris beal here whether he tolerates this culture of entrepreneurship of change 
of improvement of Kaizen, et cetera. So, so how do you, you know, what, what, do you, what do you think about that, Chris? Is that even, is, is it our job as cold callers to, to arm them, to kind of preempt the message that a boss will say to stifle the great message and emotion that you just stimulated and was a catalyst for me to say, hey, boss, I got an idea versus I get a lot of crappy phone calls, cold calls, right. and I may not be that motivated to make change. Well, I think that there's two kinds of change that you're dealing with. So one is very private, which is the choice to attend a meeting. And when we think about the psychology of a cold call, you know, a cold call is always a mistake, not by the person making the call, but by the person answering the call. It's very rare that they answer the call thinking, oh, this could be a really cool cold call. I'm so ready for this, right? And so what they're really doing is going, huh, I don't know what this is. And for some reason, I feel like I got to pick it up. And then they realize it's a sales rep. And then the defenses go up. And then, well, then we have an issue, right? So I think that this is a fascinating area to me. In fact, I just had a a meeting, a post-golf meeting uh, two days ago with a marketing expert. And she said, hey, I'm helping a company out that's doing account-based marketing, ABM. So ABM basically is like uh, market dominance guys basically we say, make a list. It's like, okay, so make a list, right? And she asked me this question. She said, how can cold calling work together with ABM? It doesn't seem like it can because in ABM, we have to know lots about each individual target on the list before we have a conversation. And so I think the first order of business for the cold caller is actually a psychological order of business, which is, can you get somebody curious enough to take a meeting and nothing else? And all that requires is that they be a human being. It doesn't matter what business they're in, as long as you can say something that A, doesn't cause them to reject you. I don't mean reject you as a person. I mean, just like reject the idea of taking a meeting with anybody you're associated with, but B, has to resonate with them while not answering the question. So that's kind of thing number one. Thing number two, the entrepreneurship thing, I think comes into play once you're in the discovery meeting or the breakthrough sharing meeting or whatever you want to call it, because that's when you're on that that's when you're on stable ground. That's when you're in the confessional if it's run correctly. And in the confessional, you can discover the answer to the question: Does it make sense to do the next thing? Right? Whatever the next thing is, does it make sense for Corey to come talk to Chris? Or does it make more sense for Corey to go do the test drive and de-risk it a little bit through direct experience? Corey can make the decision, but it's funny how this relates to cold calling. Cold calling is essentially a mechanism to allow enough human trust, human interaction and curiosity to be generated such that two people will get together for a little bit of time and explore a possibility. And that's kind of it. And I think the key to cold calling is to know that that's it and not much else. Mm-hmm. I, can I add something? Of course. I also think that we have to accept that a certain percentage of the population doesn't like to be sold to. And they will shut down meetings to their own detriment. But there's nothing you can say to them. They just will not be sold to. And we just have to accept that. But everybody else is is somewhat willing. Some people are more willing than others. I've had situations where I get no objection 
I get, sure, I'd love to. Absolutely. I'm available on this particular date and time. And it's super easy. Other times there's a little bit of pushback, but then people are amenable to scheduling appointments. So we just have to accept that some people are more willing to, to meet with people and are interested in what people have to We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. And we're back with Corey and Chris. Jen, how much of that do you think, and you've seen, you've probably experienced bad phone calls, you've probably, from your background, taught many folks to learn this skill. You have right a voice. We have a handful of folks on this podcast, all brilliant folks, of course, present company included with me and Chris, but a lot of the folks that are on these podcasts of ours, right, they have a voice that can just melt butter, and they have a command of their tonality, their stammer, their pregnant pauses. Of, is that something that you see as correlating to your success? Yes. When you're and I'll a- tell you, trainers, cold calling trainers do not spend enough time working with people on their delivery because it's 80% of your success as a cold caller. A great script hits all the points with a terrible delivery, we'll get no appointments, but a great delivery with a mediocre script will still get you appointments. Absolutely. But write that one down. So this is actually why we do flight school. We do flight school is about learning to manage your voice under pressure because it's one thing to learn in some sort of a role play, but then under pressure, away it goes and you tighten up and and I have an analogy I've used it before here I'll use it again so in the next room over there I have this wonderful Kurzweil electronic piano and it's got all these beautiful voices and stuff and there's a there's a song that I play most evenings for Helen and I play other stuff too but I play for my fiance right she's been a guest on the show so go check her out anybody wants to do that and I know full well that she thinks that I am a very good piano player and a pretty passable singer. But I'm also pretty sure if somebody walked in the room while I was playing that I was sure was a real piano player or worse, a real piano player and a real singer, I would suddenly suck to the degree that even Helen would know it, even though she'd be too nice to say anything about it. And that command of your voice under pressure is the essence of being able to cold call. Helen and I listened to Cheryl Turner once for about 20 conversations. And I asked her, what do you think? Because Helen's not a cold caller of any stripe. And she said, what's amazing is the emotional pivots. 
and they happen in split seconds. And so she knows what she's going to do, but then she does what she has to do with her voice. And I thought that was a really good phrase. She knows what she's going to do, but then she does what she has to do. Yeah. And uh, it's that's the kind mental of agility. Yeah. Yeah. How do you teach that to, I'm a new grad, Jennifer, and I was a history major, liberal arts major, communications major. I'm going to land on your floor. Maybe I'm a middle child, so maybe I'm a little bit more introverted, right? Chris has some theories on that in a minute. Um, but how do, how do I, how do you draw it out? How do you draw it out as somebody? Because these are big, bad strangers, people who hang up on me and they have teeth and they can ruin my career and they can pull up my LinkedIn and they're going to track me down on social media. What, what do I do with all this stuff here before I make a phone call? Well, I'm an extreme introvert and I can do this. And I think right there, I, I would say, well, we got to talk about your mindset because if that's the way you're going into this, yes, you're going to have problems. If you think everybody's going to hang up on you, everybody's going to be nasty to you. That is exactly what you're going to get. But if you believe to your core that your product or service can help people, if you believe, if you have integrity, if you're calling because you believe that you can help people and you do your homework but if you do your homework and make sure that you're calling the right people, you're not calling everyone under the sun. Nobody likes to receive irrelevant calls, right? You do, you, you come up with a targeted list and you're calling with the motivation of wanting to help. You're not here to sell. You're wanting to introduce yourself and have a conversation that you're going to sound very different. And sometimes I can't make somebody sound different and I will send them to a vocal coach. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't help. And I can't, there's very little I can do, but I can always start with mindset and I can sit down and, and, and go through all the things that they're bringing to the table that are going to get in the way. And, you know, I can help them. I can't do the work for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then we'll see. But a lot of times when, when, when I'll say you're allowed to call a business during business hours to discuss business, I give you permission right then and there, they are off to the races. They're like, that's all I needed. Just give me permission. That's all I needed. Other times it's when you told me that I really help people, that's all I needed. I do help people and I sell cleaning supplies, but I keep people safe and healthy. And, and my customers would be lost without me because when you really look at it, all of the businesses all over the world, we are all ultimately trying to help people, mm -hmm. help human, even paper, look at paper. What is paper? Well, paper communicates ideas to people. It's all about people. So if you can trace your company and what it does back to how it helps humanity, then you're selling with a purpose noble purpose and then people can get behind it so i tell sales managers all the time where are your case studies you need to be telling these people every single day look at what we did look at how we helped these people look at all the wonderful things we're doing that's what we are as an organization we need to be proud of ourselves well so donnie crawford and i are going to be doing a webinar on like two days from now about how to conduct a breakthrough sharing session, what people call a discovery call. I'm not really fond of the word discovery call, even though I love discovery, as you well know, Corey, I'm kind of into it. But it, it means I'm going to discover something about you that lets me make you buy my product. Yeah, And that's a disingenuous approach to that next step. If you think of it as a breakthrough sharing call, I called you because I truly believe we've discovered a breakthrough. And I want to share it with you because... I think it has potential 
at least this meeting has potential for you to learn something that'll change your life. We may never do business together. And this to me is the critical break point that Donnie and I are gonna go over. The mindset break point is to get to the essence of the mindset to say the following, in the event we never do business together, as I have to sincerely believe in the potential value of the meeting that I'm offering, not the product, but the meeting, to this human being, not their company, but to them, in the case where we will never do business together. And if I believe that sincerely, then I can take what I'll call the Scott Webb mindset, which is his mindset is, I envision this person is about to step in front of a speeding bus. And I may have to hit them hard in the middle of the chest to keep them from stepping in front of that bus, but I know the bus is coming and they don't. So it's my responsibility to get them to the meeting because that's where something magical can happen. And when he adopted that mindset, he went from a world-class, but to him mediocre 30% conversion rate. Now, Jennifer was calling for me yesterday, kindly, to set meetings for me. And she set it at 50% rate on a list she'd never heard of before. And God knows it wasn't, I don't think it's the best list in the world, actually. A little hard to get a hold of them too, a little dial to connective, I don't know, 131 to one today, or maybe worse. And, uh, yeah. and yet she said 50%. Well, when Scott adopted this mindset, working at Hub International as the head of sales, he's the big guy there. He went from 30% to 100% overnight. Yeah. Not overnight, but in the next in the next hour. And he stayed there ever since. He converts 100% of his cold conversations to meetings. And he, he says the essence is to truly remind himself yeah. he's saving their life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I tell people all the time, imagine you had the, the antidote to COVID. You would be relentless. You would find the person who you needed to talk to who could distribute that to as many people as possible. You would do your homework you and you would not stop calling. You would not stop calling because this thing could save lives. It's that sort of purpose. And, and you would be annoying, but you would be okay. <laughs> when you hit somebody in the middle of the chest, I've actually done that, by the way. When Scott said that thing about the bus, it turned out once in Des Moines, Iowa, there was a bus coming and it was coming in the fog. And I did reflex without thinking. And I hit somebody very hard in the middle of the chest and kept him yeah. from stepping off the curb. So when he yeah. said that to me, it actually made me shudder. Yeah. It actually is, uh, it's a little emotional just to remember that moment. Mm -hmm. So this is a big deal. When we, when we have a breakthrough, it doesn't have to actually be something that they end up taking advantage of. The knowledge of it is of value. Yeah. And that's all we're offering is that knowledge. I love that that uh, it's it really comes about. We've talked about this several times, Chris. Right, the belief, the insistence mindset. You, know, you can only have an insistent mindset when you have firm belief in the value, certainly of what you're what you're selling. And right to to your earlier point, Jen. Right, if I'm a new grad and I have all these boogeyman fears, or worse, let's say I'm apathetic to what it is. I think I've shared this a few times on the podcast here is um, one of the stories, one of my great mentors years ago taught me when we were first starting one of our first companies is about a guy who's just minding those business and walking past a construction site and there's five guys laying brick. And he goes to the first guy, says, hey, what are you doing? He's like, laying brick. Goes to the second, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building a wall. Goes to the third guy, what are you doing? He's like, making eight bucks an hour. 
goes to the fourth guy, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building a cathedral. Mm-hmm. And the fifth guy, what are you doing? I'm saving men's souls. Mm-hmm. Right. So arguably the latter two construction workers are the ones that you want as team members. You know that they're going to pay a little bit particular more attention to, to the, uh, the runoff and maybe the cleanup and maybe the, you know, the hard right corners of the walls. The first three pedestrians, tourists in the space, apathetic, you know, yeah, I work for uh, Saunders Prospecting here. And um, what do you do? Well, I make 18 bucks an hour. I get paid X amount per appointment. Um, working my way through law school. Uh, generally not the folks that you want to put on critical, any campaign. And certainly their conversion rates will be less than pedestrian, I would imagine. Right. So I would tell hiring managers to be very careful. And I would also tell uh, candidates, be very careful. You know, you could be a great salesperson, a great cold caller, if you align yourself with organizations in which you believe, right? And I work with a lot of commercial insurance producers and I tell them, do you know that business could not continue without you? And you start and you start telling them the story about the history of commercial insurance. And I was like, you keep people roofs over people's heads. You keep people employed. Like we wouldn't be able to do business without, right? And then they start thinking like, oh my God, absolutely. So be very careful who you work for. And if you don't work out one place, Mm. don't give up. Mm. Try someplace else. Think of really about what is in your- Wow, I love it. I love it. And Scott, by the way, his thing is commercial insurance. And I know he believes he's potentially saving these companies' lives. I mean, saving those jobs. I look at Connect and Saw. Somebody asked me, what what do you guys do? It's like, we are determined to pull the cork out of the bottle that keeps the value of the innovation economy on the inside when it could be poured freely on the outside where people could make use of it. We all rely on innovations. They're stuck. They're stuck inside of companies and they need to get out for all of us. And that's what we do. Connect and sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible Whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. (laughs) 